0: The following contains plot spoilers, and the comments and opinions expressed herein are for entertainment and commentary purposes only and may not reflect the actual opinions of Geeks Radio or the individual hosts. So don't get mad. It's just a show.
1: Sometimes when you need a hero, you get a whole league. Sometimes it's just us. This is Totally Super.
0: (laughs) Terrible. I love it.
1: Bringing you bad puns <laughs> since 2016.
0: <laughs> Welcome to Totally Super, where we review every superhero movie ever made. My name is Justin. And my name is Arthur. My name is Justice. <laughs> um uh today we are uh reviewing is this 2018 or 20 is, i guess it's probably oh, 2017 it's already been three years 2017's justice league directed by um, zach snyder sort of um and uh and starring uh ben affleck henry cavell um gal gadot and uh and a bunch of other people Um, this has been a a long time coming this is the end of our of our Zack Snyder retrospective we hope that you've enjoyed it starting with Watchmen uh, going on to Man of Steel following up with uh, Batman v Superman which was the beginning of our new way of doing the podcast where we separate out into two episodes which we will be doing today and then following up on Justice League Uh, like I said it's two episodes this episode will be focusing on the production history and the numbers the plot and a very important question and next Next week we'll be talking about uh, a character by character analysis and the final question of our entire uh, retrospective do we want the snyder cut that's a good question um Uh, What is your experience seeing Justice League? Did you see it in the theaters? I did not. Uh, I saw this uh, both times I have seen
1: it have been from the comfort of my own home with my my home studio system. Uh, The first time it was, I forget, I think I was homesick or something. HBO had it on and I was like, hey, I haven't seen this yet. Uh, It was actually a very similar experience to how I saw Batman versus Superman. And uh, let me tell you, uh, seeing a film that has got, if you're going, if you are going to see a superhero film that has gotten at best mixed reviews don't go see it in the theater on opening weekend see it two years later in the comfort of your home after you have two years of people telling you how terrible it is and you may find yourself actually enjoying it quite a lot uh that's exactly what happened to me with batman v superman that's what happened to me with justice league um and i think again it's as we've said many times before expectation shapes your experience
0: um yeah that's a you know and that's something you know it's weird i feel like we are alternate versions of ourselves because you're the one who is often purporting oh it's better to go in blind better to go in without hearing what everyone else has to say and i'm always the one who's like no 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 no, lowered expectations in this case i have to say i probably enjoyed this role reversal yeah the most the first time i saw it um, because I tried to stay you know, review free as much as I could. And in doing so, I and the audience I saw it with, because I saw it in 3D IMAX with uh, my older son. My younger son was not yet old enough to see it. And we had a splendid time. Um, I recognized the clunkiness. I recognized the flaws. Um, I also recognized the Whedon-esque version of it. And mm-hmm. and because I am inclined, both out of taste and loyalty, to enjoy that every time I caught a sniff of Whedon, I was like, "Ooh, good! I like Whedon." Ooh, yeah, um, um, yeah. I mean, that's
1: true. I will say there are there are few better movie watching experiences to my memory than watching Star Wars Episode One: Phantom Menace on opening night. So uh, you know, <laughs> the second viewing, not so much. But that first viewing, oh, that was magical.
0: Yeah, there's there's. there's there's also an inclination to to have wanted to see this. Uh, I will state that the Avengers, as cool as they are, as neat and as an idea as the Avengers are. Um, were largely B-list superheroes always. And it wasn't until Spider-Man kind of joined up. It wasn't until really when we got to Civil War that it started to feel like what I really wanted out of an Avengers film, you know, which was... And it's certainly certainly by the time we got to Infinity War, where now you're seeing people who have long-standing titles of their own that you actually read. And I still feel like mm-hmm. we're missing, you know, we're, we're missing the Fantastic Four and we're missing Spider and we're missing, you know, Wolverine. I think that like what I will never get to see is Iron Man and Captain America and Wolverine and like like the the Justice League version of the Marvel universe. I feel like mm-hmm. th- that that's sort of passed. Um, yeah. this was, well let me ask you a question. You we've talked about where we were on comics, but where were you on superheroes as a young age? I really wonder this. Um, what was your first experience with these characters? And as a secondary question, were these the characters that dominated your early superhero experience?
1: Not at all. I mean, I don't think I really had an early superhero experience. I had a tangential superhero experience. I mean, I knew about these characters. I knew about Superman and Batman and Wonder Woman from you know, I'd, when I came back to the States on home leave uh, in the summer, I'd watch, you know, Saturday morning cartoons. I would see, you know, Batman, the animated series. And uh, I remember once getting a video of old cartoons, like the original, like 1940s Superman cartoons, which are just fascinating to watch. Uh, but my the images and characters that took up most of my imagination growing up were all fantasy with a with a decent amount of Star Wars thrown into it. But it was it was mostly fantasy stuff, Um of all the geek properties out there, superheroes occupied the least amount of real estate in my imagination. Okay, that being that's said, fair. I did. That being said, I did have a better familiarity with the DC heroes than I did with the Marvel heroes.
0: And I would agree. Um, I've been on record as saying my favorite show when I was a little kid. Um, I'm older than you by a few years. My favorite show when I was a little kid was Spider-Man and His Amazing Friends uh, because it just I really dug what that did but the show that i found myself watching the most because spider-man is amazing friends you know mind you was only on saturdays but there were mm-hmm. reruns nearly every day of a show called super friends and oh yeah the, the super friends were the minus cyborg were this team. The Flash, Batman, Superman, Wonder Woman, Aquaman, and occasionally another character would pop up from here to here and there, and then you either had uh the Wonder Twins or there were like these regular kids and a dog that were part of them too. Um mm-hmm. that that they they sort of switched out, but these were these were the Super Friends. And seeing them all together was important to me. And then of course, Minus the Super Friends, you know, Marvel didn't really start coming to its own until till really Spider-Man. But there was a Wonder Woman TV show and there was a Batman, you know, a Batman TV show. And there was not only a Superman TV show, but a series of Superman movies. Um, That I grew up with dominated the screen. Yeah. And then Batman came out and and it ruled. And then there was a, a big budget flash TV show for for a year. So like all the way from I was in there was never a year through my childhood that there was not some sort of either television or theatrical experience that involved one of these five, sorry, Cyborg, characters. And I mm-hmm. watched them all. I watched them all. They never hit me the way Marvel did. I, I tried to read the comics, and I could never get into it because I couldn't relate. But I watched the shows. I watched, I've watched. i seen every episode of Batman. I've seen every episode of Wonder Woman. I've seen all the Superman movies, even four, multiple times. I watched every episode of that original Flash show from the 90s. I was a part of the Batmania when Batman came out in 89. I was I was into the video versions of these people m- as much as I was into the comic versions of Marvel. So this should mm-hmm. be—I mean, one would imagine that I'm coming at this going everything I ever wanted, and it's got Joss Whedon. This is the best movie ever, Arthur. This is the best movie <laughs> that makes ever. sense? Spoiler alert. <laughs> I might not have thought that. Yeah. Um, I let me ask you this. Did you have, when you finally, when you finally saw it and you saw it in the comfort of your own home, did you have sort of a defensive posture the first time around after hearing what you heard against it, like saying, boy, people are really off the mark? Um, What do you mean by defensive posture? I mean, you never take a defensive posture. It's not your nature. But like, did you, did you end it going like you you said that that your expectations were lowered so you enjoyed it. Did you, were, did you enjoy it to the point where you were like, I don't see what everybody was talking about?
1: I will admit, I take, and this is just something about my character, I ser- I take a certain amount of rebellious pleasure in being the person who's like, oh, everybody else hated it, but look at all the cool things that I found from it, and I think everyone else is wrong, and this is actually a good movie. Uh, I know for most people, it sort of works in the other way, uh, you know, to be, <laughs> I guess, rather than being the one cynic in a world of uh, romantics and idealists, which is is pretty much how we all saw ourselves uh in high school. Uh I now pride myself overly much on being the one idealist in a world of cynics. And uh so because of that I am always determined to look for the good in everything, even when there may be less good there than I would like.
0: I think that's fair. Um and there are things to like in this film. And I want to I want to be really clear that there are aspects of this film that I like and stuff that I did not want to like the two things that I couldn't believe that they were doing that I thought was ridiculous and stupid. And, and especially after Batman V Superman, you know, I hated the flash in Batman V Superman, especially because I was watching a really quality version of the flash at the time on yeah. TV, a, a version of the flash, which in my estimation has decreased in quality um, to the point where like last night we had an hour to kill and we're behind on the flash and we're like, Should we watch The Flash or just start Dark Mirror? And we started Dark Mirror, Um, Mm -hmm. which was really weird and cool. I'd love to talk to you about it sometime. Um, And also, you're going to have Aquaman? That's ridiculous. How are you ever going to make Aquaman work and... Mm-hmm. largely in this movie i feel like both the flash and aquaman work for me um yeah and, hugely. and so so like the things that i was prepared to dislike i liked in this film the things that i really liked of uh, from the last film i liked a lot less in this film so mm-hmm. i think it's gonna be really interesting conversation let's go through the numbers real quick um and then we'll hit the plot uh, this film was directed by Zack Snyder. Like I said, uh, story by Chris Torrio and Z- Zack Snyder, um, screenplay by Chris Torrio and Joss Whedon. Um, I'll hit the production in a second. Music by Danny Elfman. Also an interesting production note. And we'll talk about the music. I think we got to talk about the music yes. when we talk about the film. Um, we got to. <laughs> um, running time, 120 minutes. Uh, budget is $300 million it's box office was 657.9 million dollars the math people uh said that this movie needed to make 750 million dollars in order to break uh to break even that means that with the 657 million dollars as of 2019 um it is the movie that made the most money that was still considered a box office bomb Mm um uh but it uh, made a lot of money back in home video where it has made 150 additional million dollars so it just Barely made its money back. Um, mm-hmm. uh, pr- Production-wise, uh, this production was already in trouble. There was already rumors about how the, uh, you know, this was already in production or, or already in production when Batman v Superman came out. And yeah. that film was not liked. And and so they had an emergency meeting where they sat down and they watched the footage of this film. And they basically said that DC was not satisfied with the, with the footage. They brought in Joss Whedon to write new scenes. Joss Whedon, who at the time was set up to direct Batgirl. That was going to be the next film. And he was already part of the DC group and he was going to be doing that. Um, And so in the midst of all this, uh, where the film is pretty much falling apart and everyone is saying they don't like it. We'll talk about this at the end. Joss Whedon is brought in uh, um, after the death of Zack Snyder's daughter. Um, Zack Snyder uh, uh, lost uh, his child, his adult child, and uh, they were in post-production of the film. And I've been in post-production on a film, especially a film that's not working. It is it is grueling. And you need to be able to put 110% in. And he was very rightly said, I need to put 110% in my family right now and stepped away. Uh Joss mm-hmm. Whedon was handed the reins to take over the film. And when he was handed the reins to take over the film, he uh he decided, probably based on notes from Warner, uh that the film was still too similar in tone to Batman v. Superman, which everyone everybody felt at the time was under That was just not good. And so he came in and and for $20 million did more reshoots uh, on the film, brought everybody back, including famously Henry Cavill as Superman, uh, who was already filming Mission Impossible at the time with a mustache. And uh, we'll talk about that, too, I'm sure um and so they shot him as superman with the mustache and then um and then removed it digitally uh that's awesome the, uh, uh, the film opens um and and does what it does like i just uh, described uh but my question is is given everything that we just heard about this troubled production What, sir, is the plot, if you can, of Justice League? All right.
1: The plot of Justice League. The film opens on a world without a Superman, and apparently his absence is having a noticeable effect. Crime is up. People everywhere seem to be losing hope and giving in to despair. In Gotham, Batman hunts down what he believes to be an alien scout, a bug-like creature that explodes under interrogation, but not before Batman finds a symbol of three boxes, something very similar to what were in Lex Luthor's crazed notes, as it turns out. Bruce is convinced that an alien invasion is on. its way, and he sets about trying to form a team of super-powered people to stop it. Meanwhile, in the Amazon homeland of Themyscira, one of those very boxes is being guarded by a host of Amazon warriors. It awakens, and a teleport beam, or boom tube, for you savvy comic readers, appears next to it. Out of the beam walks Steppenwolf, an uber-powered horned bad guy, and his army of flying bug parademons. Steppenwolf lays waste to the Amazons and leaves with the box. Amazonian Queen Hippolyta sends a message of warning to her daughter Diana, back in the mortal world. Diana Prince, aka Wonder Woman, starts the movie by stopping a terrorist bomb threat at a local bank, but then returns to her incognito life as an antiquities dealer. But when she receives her mother's warning about Steppenwolf, an ancient enemy determined to convert the Earth into a wasteland with the power of the three Mother Boxes, she seeks out Bruce Wayne, and the two join forces. Bruce continues putting the team together. Arthur Curry, aka Aquaman, is at first reluctant to sign on. But when Steppenwolf attacks Atlantis to steal their Mother Box, Arthur realizes the scope of the danger, and joins the team. Their next recruit is The Flash. A snarky and plucky young man named Xander Harris. Wait, sorry. Named Hoban (laughs) Washburn. Nope, sorry. Named Topher Brinkwick. Wait, Barry. Barry Allen. He's got not much going on in his life other than trying to get his dad out of prison where he was framed for murder, and he immediately jumps at the opportunity to join the team. Last is a reclusive man named Victor Stone, who we know as The Cyborg. A terrible car accident threatened his life until his mad scientist father at Star Labs used the powers of a weird alien box that they had lying around, conveniently another mother box, to rebuild him. Now half man, half machine, and alien machine at that, Victor is a loner, wrestling with the implications of his new life. But Diana successfully reaches out to him, and convinces him that he's needed. Just as the team all gets together, reports come in that Steppenwolf has kidnapped a number of Star Labs employees. Apparently he's looking for that final mother box. The team storm his underground lair beneath Gotham Harbor, and successfully rescue the hostages. But the ensuing battle makes them realize that Steppenwolf is majorly out of their league. Bruce comes up with a desperate plan. With the power of the last mother box, which was in Cyborg's possession the whole time, and the always gross-sounding amniotic chamber on the crashed Kryptonian ship, they could bring Superman back to life. There is much debate as to whether that's a good idea, but they go through with it. Superman does indeed return, although initially it seems that he's come back, as Barry Allen put it, all pet cemetery. He lays massive smackdown on the team, particularly Bruce, until Alfred arrives with Lois Lane, who talks him down. Superman flies off, taking Lois with him, but the activation of that final mother box alerts Steppenwolf, who boom tubes in and steals it. Even without a Superman, the team realizes they have no choice but to try and stop Steppenwolf, as he combines the boxes and the ruins of a Soviet nuclear power plant. The team flies in, and the final conflict ensues, with lots of action, including a Batmobile chase scene, Diana carving her way through hordes of bug enemies, Aquaman stabbing a bug mid-air then surfing it down through the ruins of a collapsing building, and Lots of quality Barry Allen snark. As they face Steppenwolf, just as all seems lost, Superman flies in, begging the question of, is it still a deus ex machina if much of the movie was about reawakening said deus? Regardless, with Superman's aid, Steppenwolf is handily defeated and banished back through the boom tube. The mother boxes are separated and all is well. Especially for that one Russian family living near the Soviet power plant that I forgot to mention, even though they took up like 10 minutes of screen time. We end with Bruce and Diana beginning to convert a section of Wayne manner into a new hq for the justice league while lois lane writes an article about the return of hope fiend
0: that's a lot i will say this if plot is what you're in for the film gives you a lot of it there's a lot um, of plot um the question is 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 there a lot of story and i want to talk to you about that really really quick like the film to me feels very much like this happened then this happened then this happened then mm-hmm. this happened and i don't st- one of the things that bothered me in this hodgepodge of a film, um, which we'll talk more about next week, is the feeling that none of the things kind of led naturally into the next scene. And so I, a lot of what I didn't get was a lot of narrative oomph behind what happened. They just like, here, we're, we're cutting to another place. And I understand that's part of what you... Sort of have to do the first Avengers movie, you know, certainly suffered from that, but I just didn't feel it felt really disjointed to me. And as somebody who, you know, I dare say you you and I are both writers. Um, Mm -hmm. We both had stuff that we've written go in front of audiences. So we know a little bit about structure. Um, what was your feeling about the structure of the plot?
1: I am inclined to agree with you. Here's my take on plot, or really, here's my take on story, because story is a combination of two major things, plot and character. And it is possible to tell a good story with a very simplistic plot, but only if you've got a lot of character arc and development that's going into it. It is possible to tell a good story with very simplistic characters, but only if you've got a plot that's full of all sorts of twists and twists and turns and cool things like that. When you have a plot that is very point A to point B to point C to point D, along with characters who are either not terribly compelling Or don't go through as much of an arc as you would like them to, that's when you end up with something that just feels a little bit more hodgepodge and uh, uh, not hackneyed, but there was a lot of this movie that was much more tell than show. Like, I think, case in point, the in what, like, where Wonder Woman, in the uh, scene where she's stopping the terrorists from attacking the bank, she wraps the lasso around the first guy and then she says, Who are you? The lasso of Hestia compels you to tell the truth. There are any number of ways in which you could have made clear to the audience who already kind of knew that that was the lasso's ability, that that was what was happening without her actually having to come out and say the straight-up obvious explication of this is a lasso that compels you to tell you the truth, which I am saying to you for no reason because you would be compelled to tell the truth otherwise. Uh, And I feel like a lot of this movie, because it had to get so much in, they didn't have the time or chose not to take the time to spend the extra few moments to create something that shows a beat instead of telling us about the beat
0: yeah i agree um i think the other thing uh that should be a no-brainer is that your characters have to be involved in the plot and i think that if or or the plot has to be involved with itself and what i mean by that is major action scene at themiscuro and i do want to talk about how it's shot because i have some problems with it um but major action scene at Themyscira but there's nobody you care about in that scene outside of like Diana's mother Um, uh, you know then you have the the Russian family at the end uh, who you know you are told that you should care about and then you have a a bank heist where you care about them because they're kids but it's sort of a scene you've already seen you've seen the scene Mm -hmm. before they kind of did this in Wonder Woman and there she is sort of doing it again that a scene that is not in any way even interested in in the rest of the movie it has nothing to do with the rest of the movie it is a you know it it is literally
1: it is literally just there to show hey look wonder woman's a superhero
0: and and look it's the there's plenty of james bond movies where the the james bond movie starts with a scene that is not part of the overall plot and i get that but in a movie where you have such potential for so many things to happen within the plot and so many characters to like like you've got six superheroes the flash gets one scene pretty much uh maybe yeah. two he's got two scenes in the, in sort of the same area why are we watching the the Amazonian women? Um, why are we watching them? If, why are we watching everything we in Atlantis
1: for that matter? Yeah, I mean, I mean yes, it's, that's it's, more
0: that's more loosely tied to Arthur Curry, but yeah, but again, you don't care about the people in the scene, right? And that's and that's a big yeah. thing. And look, I I I want to put it out there: a reason I'm particularly sensitive to it is uh, any of you who've seen my first film, Ninjas vs Zombies, knows that ninjas versus zombies suffers from this a lot that the basically the plot of ninjas versus zombies the first half of it in which arthur features arthur is one of these characters that i'm about to talk about is i've got a bunch of this happened this happened this happened this happened to the main characters and then the bad guy is going around randomly killing other people that have nothing to do with the main characters of Mm -hmm. which arthur you played one (laughs) like like the bad guy shows up and is going after people that you don't care about. And my assumption at the time was not understanding that what I now understand about story is, well, the audience wants to see some bloodletting. Let's give it to them. And this feels the same way. The audience wants to see some fighting. Let's give it to them. And let's then give it to it's, them. It's, it's yeah. almost. Yeah. It's like they wrote the plot of the movie and they knew what they had the characters doing. They're like, but we need some action scenes. So let's put these in. Um, and it, it ultimately makes them when you don't care what happens to the people in the scene you're watching when you just care kind of overall for the plot, you don't want the kids to die. You don't want the mm-hmm. Amazonians to die, but you don't, there's no one in there that you actually care about. Have you seen the mission? You impossible? care
1: because you care because technically you're supposed to.
0: Yeah. Have you seen the mission impossible with uh, the, that has Kenry Cavill in it? Uh, I have not seen that one yet. Okay. So I don't want to spoil it for you just to say, just to say, it's one of the best action movies I've ever seen in my life. Um, and one of the things they do so very well at the end is they have as big a cast as this, and they they actively put each of the cast members in um in for the world of the movie uh, danger that is both terrifying and also makes sense for what they're going through. And in doing hmm. so, little scenes, fist fights. There are fist fights in that movie between two non superhuman men that that matter to you because you were like, if this doesn't go right, then that doesn't go right. That every punch matters, every step matters here you have people are just getting squashed and you're like oh well that's too bad. That's too bad yeah sucks to be that guy. Yeah and and so I think that that is the first problem let me um, you know it's funny you mentioned Deus, Deus Ex Machina because it relies on this. Can you talk really quickly um, to anyone who doesn't know what is the definition of MacGuffin? Well MacGuffin is any kind of object
1: uh, usually it's an object it could technically be a person but it is a plot device where it is an object where what makes it important to the plot is that people want it. Whether or not it does anything or what it does is less important than the fact that everybody wants this object. One of the most classic examples of the MacGuffin is the Maltese Falcon. Uh, in that film, you know, everyone is trying to get that particular, the, the Maltese Falcon, this, you know, incredibly rare uh, artifact. But you don't really know why. I mean, ostensibly, it's just because, oh, it's very, it's very priceless and expensive. You could sell it for a lot of money. But really, that's not it. Another very famous MacGuffin is the Suitcase. Uh, uh, Sorry. Yeah. The briefcase, not suitcase, a briefcase. Thank you. The briefcase in Pulp Fiction, they make a point because Tarantino, Tarantino straight up knows it's a MacGuffin. In fact, that's the point, which is why he so clearly makes a point that he never says what's in the briefcase because that's not the importance of that plot device. The plot device is just that everybody wants it. And I see where you're going with this. The mother boxes, even though technically we know that yes, their power is that they could destroy the world. um, um the mother boxes do in some ways qualify as a MacGuffin because it's just there are these objects that everyone is trying to get.
0: I here's the thing. In on this very podcast, I defended Star Wars: The Rise of Skywalker, despite the fact that it was a MacGuffin movie, which is not Star Wars. Star Wars is not about MacGuffins. The only MacGuffin Star Wars ever had was Princess Leia herself. And then once she was done being a MacGuffin, she went on to she became a character, the amazing character she is. Yeah, yeah. Um, the most recent Star Wars, of course, you know they're they're literally trying to find the MacGuffin that will help them find the MacGuffin. Um, Mm -hmm. so that is, it's okay to have one. The problem with having a MacGuffin is that the quest for it must be interesting. And instead you have a MacGuffin is, is the reverse. They have the MacGuffin and also the bad guy has the MacGuffin. And then there's one more MacGuffin. And, and they're all kind of looking for, it, but the team was brought together to fight him, which they don't kind of do till the end. And it's like, it's, it, it sort of puts you in the situation where you have a justice league and you don't know what to do with them is how it felt yeah. very much. It's like, well, you've got these guys. Should these guys be doing oceans 11? Like, is that, is that what they, cause they're the rescue scene where they first meet Steppenwolf feels very much a, fe- feels very oceans 11 to me. Like you're going to do this and you're going to do this. And, and then you're, you're going to do this. And yeah. Yeah. And it was handled there's also so well.
1: A, oh, go ahead. Uh, so I was the, uh, there's a thematic. You can see the plot is lacking a thematic continuity right from the very get-go, even with that little, uh, that little home video of Superman talking about hope winding like a river. Uh, and then the, what was really a very compelling opening with uh, that very sad song, Everybody Knows, being played over all of these shots of, you know, crime and anger and very well, uh, in a very good way, giving us the sense of this is a world that is losing hope, uh, which and tells you... And I think reflecting
0: mo- our world at us too i think that yeah it's, and it's very much something so yeah about us yeah
1: so if i'm watching a movie and i see that in the first five minutes immediately what i'm being told there is this is going to be a story about regaining hope and technically at the very end um you know lois lane buttons it by saying hope is returned and again in a Again, that opening was beautiful. Uh, Lois Lane's thing at the end of, and again, I don't know for certain whether this was Joss uh, writing it, but it certainly felt like it. First, with a beautiful, beautiful phrase that darkness, truest darkness, is not the absence of light. It is the conviction that the light will never return. Uh, I mean, that is such a wonderfully evocative way of describing despair. And then ending with the, the line of, oh, if you just need to, s- to find hope, just look up in the sky. I mean, which was, a, which was a you know, maybe a little bit too cheesy, but just a delightful little twist that served the theme. Here's my problem with that amazing opening and my and that beautiful ending is that really not much of anything that happened in between those two things was about bringing hope back to the world. It was most, I mean I guess we were supposed to believe that okay, it's about these heroes getting together and fighting this bad guy, but really it wasn't like the bad guy was going to try to capitalize on the fear of the world, and so the Justice League had to come up with something inspirational you know like going all ghostbusters 2 which would have been something instead it's like this guy wants to destroy the world we're going to use violence and technology to to stop him yay hope has returned no no
0: no, don't don't you understand his bug creatures are gonna go after people who are afraid of things and i guess we know that because reasons and and batman like scares the scares the criminal before he just lets him go which is weird um uh, so he can capture one of these things, but they they literally never do that again. Like the fear, like if fear is the opposite of hope, you never get the sense that these things are able to invade us more because everybody's afraid. like they they give it lip service. And they give they give it one scene where Batman scares a dude, but really you don't get the sense that hope is gone, and the more hope is gone, the more these things can creep in. And they could have been an allegory for for hate, you know what I mean? Like they, there's there was a deeper, better movie that could have come out of it, and instead yeah. it was like like because I think that the the nugget of the idea is in there. And the fact that these bugs respond to fear, and fear is the opposite of hope, that that, there's a nugget there of how these things reflect us back at ourselves, but eventually they just become no different than the aliens in, than the whatever they're called in Avengers, the Zathuri or whatever they're called. Um, uh,
1: And that's like, there's some great moments where you can, there's some great moments where you can see the film really trying to do that. The, when they're rescuing the hostages from Steppenwolf and that, scene I love I absolutely love the moment where Barry Allen turns to Bruce and he's like um actually I'm really really scared about this and so I'd just like to go home you know he he this is his first actual like superhero situation so he's freaking the heck out and Bruce's answer to that is just saying just save one and then after and he's like okay well after I save that one what do I do and he says then you'll know and to me that is a wonderful way of saying if you are completely overwhelmed and afraid uh it's to echo frozen two you just do the next right thing and then you do the next good thing after that like it was a that moment was a wonderful distillation of a very powerful philosophy for combating fear but that was unfortunately only one moment of the film
0: how cool would it have been not that we want to rewrite the film but how cool would it have been if then all those people are together and they're ready to fight and in the absence of Wolf, those bug things come and they brace themselves and they're ready to fight them and you see the bug things kind of back down and then you can do a tell don't show if you want to later and go and go the minute that people weren't afraid these things seem Mm -hmm. to back off and yeah if if you're that's a
1: good point if you're making this story about bringing hope back to the people of the world then the people of the world need to have a part to play in that
0: and how cool would it have been think about it then that happens and the flash realizes that oh hope and the absence of fear makes these things back off and by in, by having no fear, these things stop attacking. They don't just like cut through them like they're invisible aliens. Eventually they, they keep coming, they keep coming, they keep going, and and they just go, well, I'm not gonna be afraid, and the things back up, and then you can have will step in and go, I don't care if you're afraid, and beat him up, and then, then Superman has to go fight him. Mm-hmm. Like or the or yeah. the appearance of Superman makes everyone feel so much better that these things back off. I mean it's there. It's there in the opening, the closing, the scene with Batman, the fact that he's supposed to represent hope, and these things should be be turned off by hope and yeah. they're not and that's a problem it's well, a real and you problem do, by
1: mentioning that this actually does tie into the other uh to another major challenge slash problem that this film had that uh we are going to talk about which is essentially superman's involvement in it and yeah To me, there's two major challenges with that. First, tying on to what we were just talking about, throughout all of the Snyderverse so far, Superman has always meant to be this embodiment of hope. The, you know, and the first two films, for better or for worse, tried to talk about, okay, what does that mean? Uh, And certainly, I think what they were trying to do in this, you know, this third one is, oh, Superman is reborn, therefore hope is back in the world. But again, that's a tell, not a show. You can't just say, hey, we resurrected, Directed this character and now everything's fine you need to be able to see yeah and, and it's not just everything's fine because now he can beat up the bad guys again you need to see the world reacting to this return of hope to the rebirth of this character who's meant to inspire so much um, i mean ultimately that is one of my biggest problems with all three films as a whole is that there's a whole lot of lip service being done to how the world looks up to superman but not a ton of it actually being shown uh and then of course the the second issue with the superman thing is, uh, well as I was talking to you about earlier, the Superman problem is it is hard enough to do a film that features just a main character who has the abilities of Superman, which means he could lay waste to anything in his path so how do you come up with a villain to, to combat that? It is an entirely different challenge to say, I've got a film or a story with five different characters in it and one of them is so much more powerful than the other characters. How do we, then how do you balance that So that the story can still be about those five, which is, of course, very interesting that they brought in Joss Whedon to do it, because the first other corollary that jumped to my mind about that is Buffy the Vampire Slayer, where you have a slayer who, by their very nature, is way, way more powerful than anybody else. But that show still needed to be not just about Buffy, but about her entire team.
0: Well, and I think Mm. therein lies the solution. I think that the Avengers suffer from it, too, frankly, especially the first Avengers film, as good as it is, is once you get to the ground, what the hell are like really how much of a difference does Captain America, Hawkeye and Black Widow make when they're finally in the big fight in New York at the end? Not a lot. Mm -hmm. Joss course corrects there, I think, in Age of Ultron by with the exception of Thor, by giving everyone their own problems. And I think that what made Buffy so interesting is that Buffy had to struggle and Superman doesn't mm-hmm. have to struggle at all. Again, yeah. we talked about it being important when you're seeing scenes that you care what happens to the people in the scenes. I think the, the flip side of that is you have to have scenes where something does happen to the people in the scenes. <laughs> Yeah. And the uh, nothing happens. I I think back when Batman fights Superman in the last one, how much it hurt to watch Batman kick the shit. It's the the poop. Sorry, guys, out of Superman. Yeah. And like every time he hit him, you were just like, oh, my God. Oh, my gosh. Oh, oh, it hurt to see that happen because you you cared what happened to Superman. But in this, nothing mm-hmm. happens to Superman. Um, and I think that, I mean, again, a, makes... It, oh, sorry. Finish your thought. I was just going to say, I think it makes it less compelling when you have a character that is not in any peril, be it emotional or physical or anything he's not he is there to save the day but he really is not going through much else at that point.
1: Yeah. The uh it begs the question if the rest of the Justice League had not shown up but Superman had just shown up let's say 10 minutes earlier to that Soviet power plant. So it was just Superman. The movie probably would have turned out the same way. Like that's how that's how uh OP overpowered Superman looked. Uh in fact they kind of uh they lampshaded that in the fact. It was one thing that actually really bugged me, especially on the second viewing, was after Barry Allen does this whole thing about saving, again, that Russian family that we've spent ten minutes looking at, he does this whole thing about saving them, and then looks over and sees that Superman has like, just single-handedly lifted up this entire building's worth of people, and moved them away. It's It was meant to get a comic laugh over, look how much more powerful Superman is, but that was the problem, because as soon as you say, look how much more powerful Superman is, it's very hard to avoid negative all of the contributions that everyone else does gave. Um, The thing that made Buffy work, as you said, it's not just that Buffy struggled. It's that in the end, she needed her friends. Like there's you look at all the major storylines with Buffy and you're like, yep, if it if that had been just Buffy, the good guys would not have won.
0: I absolutely agree with you. I think that that is a an enormous problem. And it was a problem that even the first man of steel movie couldn't get away from that the they wanted to have gods fighting and show the damage that they would they would wreak on the on the world and that was stated overtly they said what would actually happen if these people fought in real life they would destroy everything and Mm -hmm. people didn't like that um superman is overpowered in this universe particularly and yes that is sometimes how superman is portrayed But there was a series in the 1980s that I've mentioned before called Man of Steel where in a post-crisis world you find out that the superman in the new version of the universe can no longer punch his way through planets he is significantly depowered and you could have that here that's absolutely yeah. doable here you oh goodness, you're you right bring him back so
1: he came back just less powerful than he was before
0: you could have you could have him fighting steppenwolf and really be struggling and you could have batman be like be like what's the problem is, I don't think I'm everything I used to be, and then you know, you know, do you want to quit? Never, and they fight, you know. And at the oh, end, I love it. Yeah, you, at the end, you 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 go. I don't think I'm going to be enough everywhere, and that's why we've got your back, Soups, and you know, then. Mm-hmm. There's a reason for the Justice League to exist because you needed all the power that Superman had, but he doesn't have it anymore. And therefore, Superman needs the Justice League. And Superman doesn't need the Justice League at all for anything. Like, really, the only one he needs is Cyborg. Like, if you got Cyborg, okay, you're yeah. my info guy. Like, you are you, and me, let's ditch the rest of these people. And yeah. you just plug me into where I need to go. You You point, I'll shoot. And that's mm-hmm. all you need to do and i think that that is ultimately the problem i mean him being overpowered him not knowing them him not caring about them he doesn't know wonder woman let's be really clear about that he doesn't know wonder woman he knew wonder woman for literally 15 minutes 15 minutes Mm -hmm. and it makes sense that he would he hated batman he hated batman before he died and batman killed him so or was involved in killing him so okay i get him having a reaction to batman And Mm -hmm. I get everybody having a reaction to him because... You, it's very easy to say, okay, well, maybe Diana got swept up in the world's mourning for Superman, but he doesn't know any of them, and yeah. and he doesn't care about them at all. So the idea, I would say one, like, that, yeah,
1: uh, one thing that they that I did like was in the scene of Superman's return, the you know the whole we'll call him Pet Cemetery Superman. Uh, I think there were some cool moments in that that actually did because of course in that one of the big questions is, oh my gosh, what has it got to be like for heroes who know that they're so outclassed suddenly? Re- Realizing that they need to fight this guy, like if your symbol of hope suddenly in a moment becomes a symbol of absolute terror. Uh, And I think there were some great instances of that. The, The whole thing of, you know, of Barry Allen going into speed force flash mode where everything slows down, which they'd already established several times throughout the film. And then just having that moment of watching Superman's head turn to track him, and then zooming in on Barry's face, giving a very good thing of "Oh my God, I'm going to die!" Like that was a great moment. Um, there was some real, uh, there was some real met when when Superman had Bruce lifted up, choking the life out of him. There was some real great menace in that moment. The uh, you know, Superman said, "Why'd you bring me back?" And Bruce says, "Well, because the world needed you." And then Superman just looks away, and then looks back and says, does it need you? Like that was a great line. There was some that that moment I could tell the filmmaker said, we want to convey a sense of what must it be like to know you have to go up against this terrifying force. And in that scene, I think they did a decent job with it. I just wanted to give that shout out.
0: And I hate to argue with you because we've agreed mostly so far. But Mm -hmm. I feel like that scene in particular is the reason nothing else works. Go on. Superman doesn't need to be faster than the Flash. I hate that he knocked the Flash over and that he was out... If, if he had been able to make it so Barry had to really work to avoid him but Barry's a, a, able to get away from him and is, then has to choose whether to stay or run away mm-hmm. that is better than Superman is faster than the Flash and more thoughtful than Batman and more plugged in than than you know the the idea mm-hmm. that, that they should be as a team equally matched to him and maybe he would win and that would feel more compelling to me because then you can go okay they as a team have a purpose but to have it be mm-hmm. that, that like in the moment it's awesome it's a great moment it's a really good moment I think the rest of the film suffers for that moment.
1: Oh, but the because implications go, oh, from that, that makes sense.
0: Yeah. He's more powerful than absolutely everybody. Okay. Then why do you need absolutely anybody? Yeah. yeah. Why do you need the flash if he's faster than the flash? And if I, it's a, it's a problem. We'll talk about, I it guess that's
1: what characters. I was going to say. It's like looking at it. It's like, okay, if you're going to make a choice to make Superman godlike powerful, which is the wrong choice, but if you're going to make that choice, at least they took that character and did something interesting with that scene. Um, Agreed. but I agree Agreed. with you. The scene, yeah. was great the, uh, the scene was the last sorry go ahead no please uh the uh moving uh, talking about that let's uh you know just one final thought and then i guess we should probably be wrapping things up with this question for the first episode before the next one where we start talking about characters and such Um, I mentioned in the plot thing that and we've mentioned a couple times deus ex machina Uh, just a quick refresher essentially deus ex machina is a narrative device for when a usually coincidental force or something incredibly powerful comes in at the end and saves the day frequently completely unjustified Uh, deus ex machina literally means god from the machine uh, which was a reference to the old Greek theater where the gods were in every Greek play practically and frequently they would arrive from a literal machine. Uh, They would have these incredibly elaborate contraptions that would bring, you know, the actors playing the gods down from the heavens. And normally, it is not a good thing. A deus ex machina usually means we just brought in something completely unrelated to all of the effort that everyone else is putting in to just tie everything up with a nice, neat little bow. It's a deus ex machina.
0: When I studied it in in college, they talked about Moliere plays, which is a, a French comedic playwright where... Everybody would, it would get funnier and funnier and weirder and weirder and worse and worse and worse and worse for everybody. And there's no way anything's going to end up okay. And then a messenger from the king arrives and goes, <laughs> I've seen that everything that you've done and you're all forgiven. And they're like, oh, ha ha. And Moliere oh, plays often end like that. Um, yeah. And that's, you know, and you can point this out in Star Wars episode one. The fact that, that all of the battle droids are shut down when he accidentally, that's a deus ex machina. Um, It Mm -hmm. can be a person, it can be a thing, it can be an event where, where it allows you to build up impossible stakes because you've got a button you can push Mm -hmm. that gets rid of the stakes. Now, here's
1: the one way in which I think you can possibly make a deus ex machina work. And that is uh, not by bringing the deus in halfway through the film. What if you had a final scene where it was them realizing, wait a minute, the only way we can beat Steppenwolf is if we bring Superman back. But oh no, Steppenwolf's already got the mother boxes, which we need in order to have the power to bring Superman back. So the final fight, the climax, of the film is about all these people trying everything they can not to beat Steppenwolf but just to get the things that they need to create the situation that they need in order to reawaken Superman. Uh, it, It is okay to bring a god in to wipe the board clean if the climax is about all of the characters that you really care about doing everything they can to reawaken that god. Like then you could have had this moment of suddenly you know all hope seems lost or something and then suddenly flash does his thing where he you know electrifies the amniotic fluid or whatever and then you have this moment of suddenly literally you know bring in an angelic choir if you will of suddenly superman arising up into the sky throw in your look up in the sky line there you see a moment of steppenwolf maybe not real you see a moment of steppenwolf looking at him like who's this guy and everyone in the audience suddenly realizing oh dude you are effed and then Superman in just a couple minutes going through and laying waste because then you still had the major characters accomplishing their goal their goal being to bring Superman back in order to save the day but you've got to have those two things happening right at the very end you can't do one in the middle and then just you can't bring back the god in the middle and then have him wait around until the end of the movie to suddenly appear and do his thing
0: yeah agreed i mean you could and you can have all of them you could be that there's a you know again for lack of a better term a button they all someone's got to push the button nobody can get to the button and there's fighting Mm -hmm. there's fighting there's fighting desperate fighting everyone's going to die finally at the very end somebody hits the button and at that moment someone gets the button yeah and and say and, and whatever the button is if it's if it's electrifying a thing if it's you know you know they have have the scene where they resurrect Superman be at the end, but then Steppenwolf comes in and to, to stop them, and again you know the the battle ensues, and I again I think that over because you wanted Steppenwolf to fight Superman and want that to be a compelling fight supposedly at the end. I also feel like Steppenwolf is overpowered So mm-hmm. there's nothing Batman can do to Steppenwolf Sort of Thanos, yeah. it's sort of the Thanos problem But the, they uh, built, yeah, the but, thing they did You know, again, it doesn't make any sense at the end That that Captain America Holds his own against Thanos When S- Thanos easily beat up the Hulk Like those two mm-hmm. things don't make any sense that, 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 But you but you go with it Right, because they, they, yeah. they have roped you In emotionally enough This film fails to rope you in emotionally enough And we are where we are Um, Mm -hmm. So next week we're going to talk about these very many many characters and then we're finally going to ask the question what do we think of the Justice League what do we think about the cut we have and do we want a Snyder cut that's a big question it's a huge question it's a big show it's a big movie for better or worse it's a movie that that will live in fame or infamy I'm excited to talk to you about it Arthur Uh, but for uh, this week my name is Justin.
1: And my name is Arthur and hey there true believers.
0: Stay super, man.
1: (laughs) Begin with a pun, end with a pun.
0: Bye, everybody. Now that you've finished the show, be sure to subscribe so that you never miss an episode of the Totally Super Podcast. Also, if you like this, you should head over to GeeksRadio.com or search Geeks Radio wherever you listen to podcasts. There you can find Trek Off, the not safe for work Star Trek podcast with Justin and Alexia. So search for Trek Off, search for Pop Off, search for Geeks Radio, and just thanks for joining us. This has been a presentation of Endlight Entertainment.